these criminals have had a successful playbook that they've been running with since the beginning of time. It used to be snake oil sales. Now we have large-scale transnational criminal enterprises using the same playbook, which is this. Get that target under the ether. For them, it means get them under a heightened emotional state. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Kathy Stokes, Director of Fraud Prevention Programs with AARP. Kathy Stokes is a nationally recognized leader in the consumer fraud arena. As Director of Fraud Prevention Programs with AARP, Kathy leads their social mission to educate older adults on the risks that fraud represents to their financial security. Since 2019, she and her team have vastly expanded AARP's leadership in this space, including the creation of a new victim support program, a multi-year campaign to end the use of gift cards and fraud, and the formation of a national effort to fundamentally transform how our country addresses consumer fraud. Kathy currently serves on the advisory council to the board of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators and on the advisory council to the Senior Issues and Diminished Capacity Committee of the North American Securities Administrators Association. Listen in for some great takeaways about Kathy's mission to eradicate fraud by educating older adults on what to look out for and avoid to protect their financial security. Well, I have the pleasure today, actually I'm stoked, to have Kathy Stokes, the Director of Fraud Prevention Programs with AARP. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today, Kathy. Thanks for the pun and for having me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was totally pun intended, not unintended. So <laughs> well done. It's amazing what you're doing, and I'm happy to have you on here because I think this is a great topic and something that we all need to be a little bit more aware of and empathetic about as well. But before we jump into what you're doing today, your role today, can you give our listeners a little background about what brought you to where you are today? I can spin this narrative that sounds like everything turned out the way it was supposed to from the beginning. But when I look back, it kind of tells that story. I had a background in an interest in government affairs and public policy when I first moved to Washington, D.C. from Pittsburgh back in 1990. Ended up getting involved in congressional affairs for a nonprofit that focused on employee benefits. Weirdly became passionate about pension plans and retirement saving. That forced me, because I just had no choice, I had to go to grad school and get a master's in government and write all about all of the problems coming down the line because of the demise of the traditional pension and the move into the do-it-yourself 401k. 
did some education along the way, quite a bit actually, went from being like sort of Ivy Tower public policy into actually joining Ernst & Young for nine years. A good part of that was doing education programs for our big clients to help their employees understand the benefit of the 401k, if they were moving to a cash balance plan, what that meant. And then I did my own thing for 10 years and it was consulting. But now here at AARP, I've gone from educating workers about how to save and invest for retirement. And now I'm educating those now retired workers on, hey, fraud is at a crisis level in this country. And there's a lot you need to know about so that you don't end up getting all of your hard won assets stolen. Right. That's quite the journey you had from where you were to where you are. So I have to ask, Pittsburgh to DC, are you a hockey fan at all? Oh, I was a big hockey fan. I sort of fell out of it, but it's always going to be the Penguins for me. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. This interview might be over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're a big hockey family. And as the listeners know, we've had a lot of NHLers on the show and people connected to the NHL. So when you said Pittsburgh, DC, two areas that are uh, very high hockey areas, Oh yeah, that was a little fearful you were going to say you're a Penguins fan, but that's okay. I won't hold it against you. So how did you come to be the head of AARP's Fraud Watch Network? How did that all come to fruition? I joined AARP about a year before this opportunity even presented itself. And I was just continuing on sort of the education of older workers on what they need to do to try to catch up because they haven't saved enough for retirement, those kind of things. The organization had this program nationally since 2013, but it was in a different part of the organization. And it was mostly sort of just awareness, like buy a bunch of ads on television and online and try to help people learn that way. And they really realized they were missing an opportunity to be a true educational program. So they moved the Fraud Watch Network out of where it was and into our social mission, education, and outreach space. And that's called Programs for Us. And I was lucky enough that I was the first interim director and I did it for a year, and it only took me about a minute to realize what a cool area it was. And again, like I geeked out with pensions, I now geek out with fraud. And it's a passion that keeps me wanting to come to work every day. Well, both those areas, even to today, pensions, right? It's an ever-changing landscape on both sides. Yeah, so for sure. I think they have a lot of similarities, I think, in that regard. So it keeps you on your toes. For sure. So what exactly, when it comes down to the Fraud Watch Network, what exactly is their mission? What's the goal there? Yeah, it's predominantly education and awareness on one side. It's helping older adults, but really it applies to everybody, understand the significant risk their assets face because of fraud in this country. And it's about also the other side of that, if you've experienced fraud, if you yourself or a loved one has experienced fraud, we're there to help you too. We have this amazing victim support program. It starts with a Fraud Watch Network helpline where you can call a number and I can share that with you if you want. And you can talk to a human. Help me understand what happened. Where do I report? What do I do now that my identity has been stolen? Those kind of things. And then just about three years ago, we set up an online victim support program. So if you've experienced fraud either yourself or a loved one, you can join these small group sessions on Zoom and they're free. Just sort of try to 
address the emotional impact of being a fraud victim or being a loved one of a fraud victim, the emotional impact, the physical impact is profound. It's money loss, absolutely. But even at the worst of the money loss, people will say the emotional impact can be even worse. So we try to focus on that. And then we have some broader, big ideas, big goals, uh, not the least of which is trying to change the narrative about how we even talk about fraud in this country. Wow, great things going on there. So does this include financial crimes or is that a separate kind of area under your watch? Financial crimes is a really broad category. We're within a category of elder financial exploitation. And mostly that is about that known perpetrator the crooked fiduciary or the long-lost nephew who's taken advantage of Auntie Jane, um, the known person. But within all of that, there's this big and growing element of fraud, of scams. We kind of refer to it as stranger danger to make the delineation a little bit clearer, but it's the romance scam. It's the grandparent scam. It's tech support scam. The things where the criminal is coming in contact directly with you one-on-one and making you believe something that isn't true and stealing your money or your personal information as a result. I mean, what can be considered like a financial fraud or financial crime? What makes that up? I'm sure there are many different iterations that it could be something that's very simplistic, maybe on one hand, but also very complex on another hand. One of the most common in the older adult community is when somebody pretends to be a grandson or a granddaughter. And they call them at three o'clock in the morning and say, Grandma, it's me. And Grandma says, Mikey, is that you? And he says, yeah, I was just in a terrible car accident and I broke my nose. So I, it's a DUI and someone was crossing the street and she was pregnant. I'm in so much trouble. I've got this lawyer right now. Please, can you talk to him? Of course, Mikey, I'll do whatever I can. Hands it off to the second person. And the second person says, this is your grandson's lawyer. I can get him from actually sitting in jail tonight if you send me X amount of dollars. Of course, I'm going to do that. It's my grandson. And then they facilitate $10,000, let's say. And sometimes that is a credit card, but more than likely they say, okay, best way is go down to the CVS, put X thousand dollars on these types of gift cards, read the numbers off the back, and that's the easiest, quickest way to get me the money. And you're in that state of, oh my God, I'm helping Mikey. So you do it. And those can even go even longer than that. But that's the type of crime we're talking about. We actually recently had a situation with a family that we serve that contacted us And it was at the last minute. I don't remember what stopped them from doing it. It might have been the people at the CVS or whatever. They were literally at the point of purchase to buy gift cards because they really thought that they won the publisher's clearinghouse. That's a big one. And I was like, what? To me, it's hard to understand that. But I guess certain people in certain instances and situations, I guess these fraudsters are so convincing that they can get you to believe just about anything. That's absolutely right. And first of all, they're criminals. I've been really trying to help people understand if we use terms like fraudster, it sounds kind of cute. <laughs> it Fair enough. Fair enough. It doesn't have the weight of crime. So we try to call them criminals, scam criminals, fraud criminals, perpetrators. Is something that can affect every single one of us. And in reality, more younger people report losses to fraud than older people every year based on the data that we have. Kicker is this, that older adult has more money. 
right? Mm-hmm. They've been saving right. all their lives. Maybe they're working with an investment company, but the 23-year-old who loses $200 to someone calling them and telling them they have a big problem with their computer and they need them, Microsoft, to fix it, and they lose $200 to that, that's horrible and it should never have happened. But when right. you're an 80-year-old and you lose 100000 everything you've had, it's such a different scale. And that's why we're so focused on it. Why do you think sometimes that this stuff isn't taken seriously? I think outsiders are like, even my case, right? It's like, hey, how could this even happen, right? And then it's kind of mind-boggling. I think there are a lot of people that don't even think that this is possible, don't even think it's real. Why do you think there's that lack of understanding there? We kind of know. We did a paper, uh, and it took us a couple of years to really kind of dig deep, but it's called Blame and Shame in the context of financial fraud, where we were looking at this issue internally with all the people that work with victims. And we're like, when they call us, they're blaming themselves. When their adult kid calls us, we're talking about older adults right now, they're like, I can't believe my mom fell for this. She must, is she an idiot? You know, is she senile? And we also have this tendency to think it will never happen to us because we think there has to be something wrong with the victim for the victim to right. become a victim, like a cognitive decline, older person, not tech savvy, not willing to hang up the phone, all of these things that we associate with fraud victims, which isn't even true. It's just a trope. But we have that in our minds. And so we can just shake our heads and go, well, it's a them problem, not an us problem, whatever. But what it is, is a whole of society problem. All of our problems. It's all of our problems. Because when you have people that lose money at the end of their lives, they still need to put food on the table and have a place to live. If it's not the immediate family that has to help them, it ends up being government resources. It affects us all. I want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our latest best-selling book, Financial Planning Made Personal. It breaks down complex financial concepts into simple, easy-to-follow steps that anyone can understand. Everyone has a unique financial journey, and this book can help yours. Do you have your copy yet? If not, please go to financialplanningmadepersonal.com and order one today. And I have one more question for you. What did you do today that brought you joy? With this on the rise, what are things that people can do to help better protect themselves or put themselves in a better position for this not to happen? Well, there's a couple of things, and I'll say this and then move on and get back to it, but we've got to be talking more about fraud because the more it's part of our sort of daily conversations, the more aware we are, and I think that helps us a lot. But there are things that we can do to sort of have a colleague that says, harden the target. As an example, we all have a zillion online accounts and we have online passwords. The system of password creation is horrible. We all look for shortcuts, but that puts us in a situation where if a criminal is able to break one password and it's similar to or the same as our other accounts, we're screwed, right? I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's going to be dominoes falling. My suggestion used to be, well, you know, there's a password manager and it can manage them and can crypt them. Yeah. The one company whose only job it was to protect your passwords got hacked twice. 
So maybe there are good ones out there, but I can't in good conscience say that's how to do it. So what I do is I write every darn one of them down. I happen to put it in in notes on my iPhone and encrypt that page in notes. So it's kind of old school and new school together, but we really have to do better on the passwords. If we're not in a place where we're looking to buy a house or take out a loan or buy a car, freeze our credits. We don't need the credit report open if we're not going to take out a loan anytime soon. And if you freeze it with each of the three agencies of record, TransUnion, Experience, and Equifax, you have to do it with each of them. That pretty much means nobody can steal any part of your identity that's already out there and open an account in your name. So it's a very strong method and it's free and you can lift the freeze if you need to and put it down again if you want. But we have to also know that there's no form of communication that we can trust anymore. So we just have to be aware that that link in a text that says there's a problem with your bank account is probably fraudulent. Same with the email, same with online ads that look like, oh my God, I can buy those sunglasses my grandson wants for Christmas for $20? Click. No. (laughs) So we have to just be hyper aware that this is everywhere. We know from external research that if you know about a specific scam, like we talked about the grandparent scam earlier, anyone who's heard that, they are now 80% less likely to engage with it. They see it coming. So If we talk more about what we learn, we're all helping each other to sort of keep the stories and keep what's happening around us and in our common daily conversations, it's going to be so much better for most of us who will get it and not engage to begin with. I mean, I think it's like a lot of other things, right? The more things we talk about, we bring attention to it, we become more mindful of it. It brings it to our attention and we're top of mind. And it makes it easier for us to talk about and say to a friend, hey, I got this call. Is this something I should be doing something with? Rather than in a situation where if you're not talking about it, you feel weird asking somebody else if that's something you should be doing or not doing, right? And you might even be pressured by the criminal who's on the other end of that phone to not tell people. Right. Let me ask you a question, because you did mention the password managers, right? Not in name, which is fine, and I wouldn't expect you to. But what about these like monitoring services for like your identity and stuff like that? Or is there a level of validity there? Or is it really just something you kind of pay for to give you peace of mind, but there's nothing really of hard value there? Most of what those services provide, we can do on our own, but it's a bit laborious. If I were to invest in something like that, and let's say it had identity theft protection so that if my identity was stolen and used, they would help me recover it, plus maybe protect me up to 100000 in losses. Well, that sounds really good, but read what they mean by identity theft, because mm-hmm. quite often, if it comes as a result of someone stealing your purse or your wallet, yeah, they're going to help you. But if it comes as part of a socially engineered scam, they're not going to cover it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyone that says that they can monitor the dark web for your data, I mean, they might be able to put some fishing lines out there, but it's not indexed in a way like right. what we work on every day is. Interesting. Interesting. So you were talking about talking about this, right? And I think one of the things that I was alluding to is storytelling. And I think storytelling is such a powerful tool. Can you share with us a story that you've come across that has moved you in your work? 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many of them. We're over 100,000 calls to our Fraud Watch Network helpline as of today. So we hear from a lot of people. That's not my team, but that team shares with us what they hear. And there was one, uh, this woman at the time, I think she was like 68, had been widowed for 12 years, doing quite well, but during the pandemic was sort of cut off from her three sisters that she's so close to. One day she's on Facebook and she's just going through her feed and somebody sends her a friend request or whatever that is. And she almost never, never responds to people she doesn't know. But on that day, for some reason, and she looks back and thinks it's because like she was alone and it was COVID and she didn't have much to, you know, so she clicks on this person's friend request. Long and short of it, it becomes a long form romance scam. This man made her believe that A, his name was Tony and that he was working for the United Nations as a surgeon in Afghanistan, working with people who've been injured and whatever, and that he's a widow and he has very young kids because his wife was very young and they're in boarding school. And this whole story develops and over time, he builds trust with her and she actually falls in love with him. He was sending her out to look at real estate so that when he finally got off of his mission, he would come to the Philadelphia area. They would buy a house together. The kids would move in. They'd get schooled in the United States. And and he was on his way. It was like right before Christmas. And he's like, babe, I'm on my way. I can't wait to see you. He took a picture of himself at the airport. She waits all night, three o'clock in the morning, I guess it is, or something. She gets a call and it's someone claiming to be a lawyer for Tony who got arrested at the Philadelphia airport because somebody put drugs in his bag and needs $20,000 to get out. So it's just building and building. Anyway, she eventually allowed herself to understand what she'd had an inkling of, which was this was an entire fake relationship. He doesn't exist. The kids didn't exist. And she had lost everything, everything. It was for her $40,000. She took money out of her pre-tax savings and had to pay Uncle Sam because of it. That summer after, she takes care of hospice dogs. And she had six hospice dogs in the house. I know, right? She's six. I mean, come on. I mean. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And find somebody a little as nice. I mean. It was June following that sort of Christmas era issue. She couldn't afford to get her air conditioning looked at when it died. So she was using a portable AC unit and it caught fire and burned her house down and killed oh the six hospice gosh. dogs. Oh my gosh. Can it get worse? This poor woman. Two parts to the story. One is that first realization that it was a scam is not the end of it. That right. last gift card she bought and gave him the numbers for is not where it ended. She lost her house. She lost her dogs. The good news is that her sister knew about the Fraud Watch Network and she called us and that began a relationship. And she is now on a, she has a small group of paid speakers and she is a Fraud Watch Network Speakers Bureau speaker, and she goes around the country and she tells her story. Right. Well, at least there's a little bit of a happily ever after there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hell of a story. We had on our show a while back, episode 94, Christopher Healy, who broke one of the largest IRS phone scams ever. 
the thing that sticks with me, he was a federal agent and uh, sticks with me to this day. He's like, if you get a call from these people, he's like, just keep them on the line as long as oh, you can. Oh, God, no. No, that is no. the worst. No, I love it. He's like, because it'll prevent, if you keep them on the phone for three, four minutes, it prevents them from making those number of dials and causing other people harm. Nope. It's all Not auto-dial. good advice? No, terrible advice. Oh, it's auto-dial. I love having a little fun. I like having fun with some of these folks. <laughs> so I do I, right? Because you think exactly that, that you're just going to mess with them and they can't bother somebody else. If you're on that phone for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, even if you answer the phone to begin with, that is data that the lead list creators in the criminal world are monitoring. So the longer you're on the phone with the criminal that you're just messing with, the hotter your phone number gets. And it gets bought and sold to so many more lead lists. And you've just opened yourself to that many more criminal actors. I have to say, recently, now that we're talking about it, I haven't gotten many phone calls recently. So I don't know if something changed with my phone or the way they were intercepting them. But I haven't gotten many phone calls like that at all recently. Well, that's really great to hear because you're probably one of the only people that can say that. (laughs) Either that or maybe I'm on some list on the dark web, like, don't bother this schmuck because he's keeping me on the phone too long. Uh, I don't know. That could be it too. Yeah. We'll see. So you talked a little bit about this earlier, that we tend to blame victims of scams by saying something like they were duped, scammed, swindled, they fell for it. I think that language is to be very intentional sometimes. And I talk a lot about this in the mental health space, especially. That's another area where it's language matters. I think a lot of areas of language matters. But why does language matter when we speak with regard to financial crimes in particular? Because when we use those words, whether we know it or not, we're blaming that victim for having been the victim of a crime. And what is not well understood in this space is that these criminals have had a successful playbook that they've been running with since the beginning of time. It used to be snake oil sales, but then now we have large-scale transnational criminal enterprises using the same playbook, which is this. Get that target under the ether. For them, it means get them under a heightened emotional state, right? Make them go to their amygdala, before they access their logical thinking. Because if you can bypass logical thinking on anybody, you're as good as gold. If I can get you to believe that your son is in big trouble and you don't step back and go, well, actually, I just saw my son last week and I think he's okay. You don't typically go there because your emotion is getting you there. So that can happen to anybody. It's just simple brain physiology. So to blame somebody for having been duped versus saying a criminal stole this woman's life savings. Right. It makes you want to see a different outcome. Well, they're two very different things, I think, right? One, you're almost empowering the person who's committing the crime by making them like, hey, oh, they duped them. They got them. They're smart. They outsmarted somebody. When in reality, they're they're a thief, right? They're They're criminals. Let's call it what they are, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, I think that's great language. And I think people should take that under advisement. So in your TED Talk, you mentioned how in the mid-90s, the shift in suicide prevention started to change the narrative around mental health. How can we educate people 
that with financial crime now being big business, fraud victims are crime victims. How do we make that similar shift? I think similarly, the conversation also in suicide and mental health has shifted significantly, like no talk about it, stigma, a lot of talk, less stigma, still a way to go. But I think this is going through a similar trajectory in a way. Yeah, we looked, the paper that I referred to, we looked at analogous case studies and suicide was one of them. Another was rape. I was coming up in the 80s and if there was a conversation at the dinner table about someone having been raped in the news or whatever, one of my parents would say, well, what was she wearing? Or why was she out by herself at night? That's ridiculous. That's victim blaming, you know? And then with suicide, everything that, I think it was family members of people who had experienced suicide in their own lives and they kind of came together. It began as demanding that we do more. And now look at all the resources that go into suicide prevention. We think the same thing can happen. So we've been working to lay the groundwork, working across industries, whether it's financial institutions, um, retailers, tech companies, importantly, the media, to help folks understand what the issue is and what we need to do to sort of foundationally change how we think about this. And we're making some headway. The one thing that I always like to go back to that it kind of hit me about, I don't know, three or four months ago, is like, we need a campaign. This is a little different, but we need a campaign on something that all of us can understand equals fraud. Because I could sit here and give you 87 red flags to watch out for because there are so many. But if we only had three things that came together and equals fraud and you should engage or, or disengage or not engage at all... I think we'd get really far. And I keep looking back to when I was a kid, I remember learning, there were PSA campaigns about what to do if like your pants catch on fire. It was, um, Mm -hmm. what was that? Stop, drop, and roll. Stop, drop, and roll. We need to stop, drop, and roll for fraud. And if the elements, they have to be like someone catchy, you know, some ad agency has to come up with it, right? But it's that call out of the blue or contact out of the blue that puts you into an immediate heightened emotional state and it contains urgency. If we can get those three things wrapped into a stop, drop, and roll for a campaign, I think we'd get somewhere on education. But we also yeah. got, we can't educate our way out of it. We've got to do a lot, lot more. It's not a solo-sided problem. It's very multifaceted. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I sat on the national board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for about 14 years. 14 years. So, yeah, I lost my brother-in-law in 2004. So I watched that organization when I joined them. I think we had like a $6 million budget. And I think in the past year, we're at the between 50 and $60 million budget. Good news, bad news, right? Because good news that we've been able to grow, bad news that we've had to grow because you want to be in a position where you're going to grow and put yourself out of business. I'm sure you would like nothing other than to see the Fraud Watch Network not exist because it doesn't have to, but unfortunately, I don't think that will ever have the propensity to happen. So it's just a matter of being as preventative as you possibly can, right? It is. And it's more too about we need technology to come to us that's safe by design and secure by default. And that doesn't happen right now. We need law enforcement to take the crime much more seriously. 
we need them to go after the bad guys. And that's another project that I'm working on that I hope will actually launch in 2024, where we put some big companies together to seed fund something like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, but a national elder fraud coordination center. The idea here is to take all these seemingly disparate cases around the country that aren't being put together with the same MO, just because federal law enforcement doesn't have time, doesn't have space, doesn't have the bandwidth, right? But if we had a bunch of like really smart data analysts in real time pulling these similar cases together and being able to draw them to a crime ring in India, mm-hmm. so maybe you don't go after India, maybe you do because that's getting a little better, but you're going after all the people on the ground that are in the United States that are supporting the business model. So you start picking those guys up and putting them in jail and it becomes harder to do what they do. As you were saying that, it jogged my memory. There was a story, my wife and I, we get a uh, charge on our credit card for like $3,500 at an Apple store. And it was an Apple store, probably about like 70 miles from where we live. We live on Long Island. I think it was an Apple store in Staten Island. We call the store that, oh yeah, your order's ready for pickup. Well, we didn't place an order. Well, it's paid for. So we call the credit card company. We had a family member that was in law enforcement in Staten Island, retired, asked him who we should call. Long story short is nobody cared. This guy came in. They knew when they were going to show up. He had a window of opportunity to come and pick up the laptop. Walked in, picked up the laptop. Nobody went in. No, the credit card company was like, okay, well, you're not responsible. Don't worry. The police were like, it's on the credit card. File it with the... Nobody wanted to figure out who this person was that made this fraudulent charge and went and picked up a computer. We had that done at Home Depot too. Somebody picked up lumber using our credit card. So they must have them on video. When have you ever been to a Home Depot that's not camered up? I don't know if it's lack of resources. And going back to what we started originally... We're all paying for this because if you don't think you're paying more at Home Depot or you don't think you're paying more at the Apple store because of loss prevention, we are. We are at the end of the day. We don't have a good estimate of true fraud losses, but we have something and it's from the Federal Trade Commission. And in 2022, reported fraud losses, $9 billion. So if that isn't having an impact on things that you're buying in the and FTC will say, you know, we think maybe two to 5% of people actually report. So multiply the 9 billion. It could be up to 50 billion almost. Or more, probably twice that. Or more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kathy, it's been a pleasure. Very educational. A lot of great takeaways for our listeners. As you know, this is the Midland Money Mindset, and we are all about joy. So as we ask all of our guests, I'm going to ask you, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Well, it's a little personal, but if you bear with me, three weeks ago, I had a pretty big surgery, and I felt really not well for way too long. And I woke up this morning and I'm like, wait a minute, there's a shift. I feel the energy. I'm sitting in a chair instead of sitting on my couch for the first time in two weeks. Oh, great. And I'm back and it feels fantastic. Sounds joyful to me and glad you're welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad you were able to make it here in full-fledged and that we were able to bring that joy and share that joy with our listeners. Now, we're going to have all of the information for you as well as the Fraud Watch Network, AARP, in our show notes, which I'm not a member yet, just if anybody's wondering on the listener side. I'm not a member yet. But if people want to learn more about you, learn more about the network, what's the easiest and the best way to connect with you or them? 
head over to aarp.org slash Fraud Watch Network and hint, you don't have to be of a certain age to be a member of AARP. <laughs> you get some really oh, great discounts. Oh, nope. $16 oh. a year, no matter if you're 16 or 60, oh. get great benefits and you're supporting outreach programs like the Fraud Watch Network. See, I learned something else today. This is great. Thank there you, you so much for letting me know that. I didn't know that. I thought you had to wait till the envelope showed up in the mail when you're 60 years old. No? First of all, I it shows not. up at 50. Oh, Those to start showing that, oh, that's coming soon. That's coming very soon. <laughs> oh, you'll then. be barraged. <laughs> there you go. But I'm sure I will. But thank you so much for spending this time with us, Kathy. I appreciate it greatly and enjoy the day. You too. Thanks so much. I want to thank Kathy Stokes for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Kathy is on a mission to protect older adults from financial fraud. This type of fraud can have a major impact to a person's financial security. And let's call it what it is. It's not fraud. It's a crime. It's criminal. Kathy is working on transforming how society views financial crimes and why they must be taken seriously. This is a threat to all of our financial well-beings, and we need to be aware and remain vigilant. Kathy Stokes and AARP's Fraud Watch Network can be found across most social media platforms. All the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.